Welcome to MHM Podcast Network on moviehousememories.com. Podcast for pod people. Our feature presentation begins now. Welcome back to Male Bonding, the podcast where a group of guys sits around and talks about one of their favorite subjects in the world, James Bond. I'm Patrick, and with me, as always, uh, for Male Bonding, three of the people who love James Bond, or at least two people who love James Bond, and then we have Chris, too. Uh, as much as I do. Uh, first, uh, he is the host of the Golden Age of the Silver Screen podcast here on the MHN Podcast Network, my right-hand man, and the Felix Leiter to my James Bond, you know, the guy who pulls you out of retirement and sends you into a death trap, that guy, Chris Haley. <laughs> I hope things turn out well for me this episode. <laughs> you never know with Felix. Yeah. Also with us, uh, he is one of the co-hosts of uh, Movie House Memories uh, and one of the establishers of Movie House Memories. You can follow him on Twitter at Haybucker, Matt Palmer. I always wanted to be the one to send someone into a death trap. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I, I've used the restroom after you and it happens all the time. <laughs> if only we could tailor that to someone's specific DNA. Now that would be something. Because I, I heard you outside the door. What is that, Patrick? I, I, I just can't hear you. I just can't hear you. <laughs> Finally, uh, he's our international man of mystery, the Austin Powers to all our James Bonds, uh, although we're American, so I guess we're Felix Leiters. Uh, he's the uh, co-host of Movie House Concessions, the number two review, Criterion Critics, Lunchtime Movie Review, and pretty much every other damn uh, podcast here on the MHN <laughs> Podcast Network. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at movie underscore analyst, Shane Adam Bassett. Hello, everyone, and this one has been a long time coming. I'm really looking forward to finally talking about it. <laughs> All right, and we dedicate this one to Eddie, Chris, correct? Yeah, Eddie's been waiting for us to review this one. I don't know if he'll like what I have to say, but yeah. All right, well, Eddie, I apologize. The delay has been entirely due to my fault. Uh, I intended No Time to Die be, to be the first movie that I went back into the theaters after COVID hit to see with my son and what ended up happening is uh, we were behind and catching up on the James Bond films. We still hadn't watched Skyfall or Spectre and we still didn't watch Skyfall, Skyfall or Spectre <laughs> until last week, finally. Uh, and uh, then the movie was out of the theaters and we just didn't get around to it for a while. And it's been entirely my fault. And I apologize because uh, I finally got to see it once again, second James Bond uh, film in a row that I haven't seen in the theaters, but we're here now. So we waited so long. The little girl in this film is now 23 years old and is set to star in the next James Bond. Yeah. Film. Well, part of that would be due to COVID because it took forever for this movie to come. Out. Yeah. It took about 19 months or something to get to, you know, original release date to its actual release date. All right. But let's not hesitate any longer. Matt, do you have an award-winning summary for us for No Time to Die? I sure do. The movie opens with a child, Madeline Swan, holed up in a cabin with her mother as a masked Lucifer Safin comes to seek revenge against her father for killing his family. Safin kills Madeline's mother and rescues Madeline after she becomes trapped under the icy lake. Currently... Bond and Madeline are vacationing when Bond is attacked and nearly killed by Spectre goons. Bond learns that Madeline is a daughter of Spectre, and Bond calls the whole thing off, putting Madeline on a train and retiring from the spy game. 
Five years later, a scientist working on bioweapons for MI6 is kidnapped by Spectre and helps them create a bioweapon that is programmed to attack certain genetic traits, killing the targets nearly instantly. Felix Leiter and a politically appointed State Department goon named Logan Ash attempt to pull Bond out of retirement, but Bond is not convinced until he is met by the new 007, Nomi, and told about the bioweapons project. Bond goes to Cuba, where he meets with Paloma, a CIA agent, who helps him infiltrate a Spectre meeting where Blofeld is calling the shots via an electronic eye. Blofeld announces his intention to kill Bond using the bioweapon, but the weapon is reprogrammed to kill every member of Spectre present, leaving Blofeld as the last remaining member of Spectre. Not long thereafter, Logan Ash is discovered to be working with Safin, and he kills Leiter. Bond goes to interrogate Blofeld, but Blofeld will only talk to his therapist, who happens to be Madeline Swan. Before the meeting with Blofeld, Safin uh, approaches Swan and gives her a chemical agent to apply to herself, which will kill Blofeld upon coming in contact with him. She applies the chemical, but she changes her mind and leaves before it can kill Blofeld. Bond, however, unwittingly transfers the chemical to Blofeld during the interrogation and kills Blofeld. Bond tracks Madeline down to her childhood home. He learns that Madeline has a child, which she claims is not Bond's. Later, Madeline and her daughter are kidnapped by Safin and taken to his island lair, where he is mass-producing the bioweapon and plans to unleash it on humanity. Bond and Nami uh, infiltrate the island and kill everyone in their way. When confronting Safin, Bond learns that Madeline's daughter is indeed his daughter. Meanwhile, the British Navy launches missiles to destroy the island, and its weapons, Safine manages to infect Bond with a bioweapon when they fight, which means that if Bond were ever to have any contact with his daughter, she would die. Bond stays on the island as the missiles rain down. It's not like Q is a fucking genius and could have figured that out for Bond. Oh, no. What's the opposite of plot armor? (laughs) (laughs) All right. What Uh, the hell are they going to do for the next film? You just killed off all of Spectre. There's a lot of forethought in this goddamn film. Oh, wow, 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 wow. Let's get into the numbers first before we start raining on the parade. Raining missiles on the parade, I guess. All right. No, <laughs> no Time to Die was released in the United States on October 8, 2021. Uh, released about two weeks earlier in most uh, uh, other countries around the world. Uh, it was released at the same month as Halloween Kills, The Last Duel, Dune, Ron's Gone Wrong, Last Night in Soho, The Addams Family 2, and Venom, Let There Be Carnage. It grossed uh, almost $161 million in the United States, however, grossed $774 million worldwide, making it the eighth highest grossing film in the United States uh, in 2021, right behind F9, The Fast Saga, Eternals, and Sing 2, and right in front of A Quiet Place, Part 2, Ghostbusters, Afterlife, and Free Guy. Uh, It was the fourth highest grossing film, however, worldwide, uh, behind Spider-Man No Way Home, The Battle of Lake Shangjin, and Hi Mom. And if you haven't heard of those last two, it's because they were only released in China. Uh, it was the the uh, most expensive James Bond film ever made, uh, made for somewhere between 250 and $300 million. Uh, adjusted for inflation, the box office gross It's the sixth highest grossing James Bond film of all time behind Casino Royale, the Daniel Craig version, and in front of From Russia with Love. 
uh, was nominated for three Academy Awards, winning one. Uh, Billie, Eilish, Billie Eilish's theme song, No Time to Die, won Best Song. Uh, lost Best Sound to Dune and Best Visual Effects to Dune. And J- Daniel Craig repri- reprised the role for the fifth time, became the second oldest James Bond at the age of 53 uh, to appear as Bond. Uh, and that's not counting David Niven, who was like 120 when he appeared. Uh, however, uh, Roger Moore still holds the record as official James Bond films with at the, uh, making a view to a kill at 57. Sean Connery was 52 when he appeared in never say never again in the eighties. So that was it. Yeah. That's all. He was only 52 at that point in time. So Daniel Craig held together pretty, pretty well. Uh, Rotten tomatoes has this at 83% critics and 88% audience. And that is the numbers on no time to die. All right, Patrick, real quick, important question. Yeah. What was the better film? Adam's family Two or let there be carnage. I haven't seen Adam's Family 2, so I can't honestly say, but I would let, uh, leverage a bet uh, Adam's Family 2. Even if they yeah, cut out I the... Would, I would say Adam's Family 2, <laughs> if you ask me. Yeah. So Venom, Let There Be Carnage was a sh- shitty fucking movie. Like, really, really bad. And I want those to be good, and they're never... They're just not good. If Marvel's not involved with it, it's a Sony-only project, they just are not batting very well at this point. All right, uh, let's start with uh, the theme song. Uh, Shane, uh, you usually have music. We've got a theme song by No Time to Die uh, by Billie Eilish. We previously talked about this so, so long ago. (laughs) We got together and talked about (laughs) this song when it was released, when we thought it was going to come out in April of 2020. Uh, And then we've got a score composed by Hans Zimmer. Well, thoughts, Shane, on the music in the film. Well, firstly, Hans Zimmer himself, who's done so many uh, great themes over the years, uh, he has said that this Bond beats them all. He thinks this is one of his best ever scores, so that's a big call from him. And I liked it. I kind of thought it was a little bit um, familiar, but some of Hans Zimmer's work is. I think he used used sort of similar beats and, you know, composites. But overall, I really liked the... uh, the theatrical score for throughout the theatrical film itself, but the theme song, I said way back when uh, that it was a terrific song, a little bit different, and I like Billie Eilish, and her voice was pretty amazing. So I, I stand by that, and it's, you know, won the Oscar for Best Film, and it deserves to, I think. It was the best song out of the five nominated. All right, what about uh, the reprieve, a reprise of We Have All the Time in the World by Louis Armstrong in the credits of the film? harking back to on her majesty's secret service when james bond's yeah first wife dies at the end of the film yeah well that was interesting because that he quotes that a lot through the movies in the movie itself saying we have all the time in the world and i'm like ah okay they're coming back to that and i thought it was nice i don't think unless you're i have to say a lot of people that i spoke to after it did not know what that was from so unless you're maybe uh, take a lot of interest in former Bond movies, because I know a lot of uh, certain aged people don't like other James Bond movies. They only like Daniel Craig. So I enjoyed its inclusion, but I don't think everyone would have picked up on it unless you're, you know, really into the legacy like we are. Chris? I like the overall score. No Time to Die by Billie Eilish was, was fine. Uh, I don't really have much more to say about 
about that because I don't know the other songs that uh, she was up against. But uh, I think for for Bond theme songs, this was in I would say the the upper third. So I think it was it fit the film overall. Matt, yeah, I thought it was a good song. I um I, I'm not really familiar with um with Billie Eilish other than this song, but I, I thought it was a good one. Um, I did not, I'm not, I'm not bond savvy enough to catch the the refrain and, and recognize what that was from, but it was a good score. I, I, it was good. Um, it was good among James Bond scores and they're typically, they're typically well done anyway. So I, I liked it. All right. No, no three blind mice, but not bad. <laughs> Thank yeah. goodness for that. Yeah. Uh, Matt, what you need to do, uh, to make yourself more familiar with the James Bond franchise, you should do a host a podcast that just covers the James Bond films, the, so that you can give the appearance that you actually know. <laughs> Got to be realistic about how much time I have, Patrick. Right. Uh, you know, I I like the Billie Eilish song. I'm familiar with some of her work. I can't say I'm a huge fan of uh, her uh, her music, although I think this is drastically different than many of her songs. Uh, I liked it a couple of years ago when we reviewed it. I liked it now. I thought it fit the film. This is a much more somber film and a much more somber piece of music. Um, Hans Zimmer is one of my favorite uh, active composers. Uh, I, I like his music. I got to say, I don't think this is one of his best. It's not bad by any stretch of the imagination, but it's it doesn't. There's not a lot of pieces that really reach out and grab me that I distinctly remember from the film, other than when they're harking back to other films, such as we're all the time, we have all the time in the world, or the normal James Bond theme. Uh, but mm. the, the the individual pieces don't stand out to me very much. So I, I'm kind of curious that he he uh, called that his best or one of his best. And I really do love the inclusion of the Louis Armstrong song in the credits uh, compared to where it went I, or where it comes from and what it has meaning for. It, it is a, a reference that only probably a lot of true James Bond fans would get, um, but I really like the inclusion of it and that line of dialogue that they repeat throughout the entirety of the film. All right, Matt, what about gadgets and action sequences? It's been a long time since we did a Bond film. Did you remember this is your subject? Uh, I remembered it when I saw your outline. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which luckily was before I rewatched the movie. Um, this, the, the one thing I like about this is that a lot of the gadgets, not all of them, and a lot of the action sequences are fairly you know, uh, low-tech, uh, stunt doubles, um, good good fights and good sequences. So we have a the um, the opening Bond sequence, which they they used a lot in the trailer because it had some pretty great stunts in it with the the motorcycle up the stairs and the uh, swinging beneath the bridge. It was good, you know. You 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 couldn't tell the CGI blended in well, and it felt it felt like a good old fashioned low tech um, Bond sequence, but done well. Um, later you had the shootout in the forest, which again, felt, felt good, low tech, um, more intense. And then of course, in the end, you have, um, one of my favorite gadgets, which is the villain's lair. And they did a, a very good lair in this movie, um, kind of harkening back maybe a little bit to Dr. No, um, and, um, you know, eccentric, but, um, but but very well done. 
Um, come with some of the high tech stuff. They do this medical stuff. You have your smart blood. You have your your um, advanced uh, biologically uh, engineered weapon that can can track people's um, DNA. And then of course you have Blofeld's uh, phony eye. So overall, <laughs> I I like this one for being not obnoxiously high tech. Uh, they they blended in kind of the science fiction really well with the punches and gunshots, in my humble opinion. Uh, Shane, your thoughts on gadgets and the action sequences? Yeah, that's right. It's a lot of low-tech stuff, um, except for maybe the smart blood. The phony eye didn't rate for me. (laughs) I don't know if I like that or not. Um, The lair was good. Agreed. It it was really good, and it was a typical lair, actually. Again, I think it referenced other James Bond movies. But I like the car. I reckon that bulletproof car laid out with machine guns in that opening sort of sequence at opening 20 minutes was just brutal and brilliant. So, yeah, I'll stick with that good old-fashioned James Bond car. Chris? The eyeball and the blood I could uh, pass on. It was too much of a uh, – it just uh, bothered me for some reason. But uh, basically everything that Matt and, and Shane said, but I also really liked uh, how they blew up the uh, the tomb – uh, at the uh, the beginning of the film in an assassination attempt. That one was pretty good. Yeah, pr- probably pretty low-tech, just probably a radio-controlled, you know, explosive that the... And I appreciated the low-tech look. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's true. You know, the, the Smart Blood, second film we've had in a row, because that came up in Spectre, and I know Shane hated it in Spectre. Uh, I, it, 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 in this film, it actually has less importance. You know, because in Inspector, they're trying to track him around the world. And this one, it's like they know exactly where he's at. They just don't know where he's at on the island. So I don't I don't even know why they included it. Plus, didn't you inject that shit into him like, you know, five years ago? Why? Did, why do you I didn't get the idea that that would leave the body? Um, you know, as much as you say low tech, we're talking about a nanobot virus that can be programmed for a specific DNA. That seems pretty high tech to me <laughs> as far as gadgets and that's the bad guy you know uh, gadget in this film uh, uh there were certain things that i thought were unusual um and these might be plot issues uh, but the the idea that this this program programmable programmable nanobot virus i was really confused at at the meeting in cuba for specter where they're going to attempt to kill bond the guy who's programming the virus pretends he pulls out the thumb drive and switches the thumb drive before he puts it in to program the, I guess, the virus. Yeah. But the guy he's doing it in front of is the guy working for um, Safin. So he's in on it. He's helping Safin. He wants them to kill the specter. Why is he going through such an elaborate ruse? I didn't make a lot of sense to me. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, you know, I really liked the Aston Martin car, as Matt described at the beginning. Really, really good. Um, essentially low tech, but it harkens back to some of the earlier Bond films. Uh, but uh, not an extreme amount of gadgets. We got the plane that turns into a submarine. But, you know, that was, yeah, I didn't have so much of a problem for that for that one. But. Mm. All right, Bond girls. Well, we got a plethora of them in this one, surprisingly. We have Dr. Madeline Swan making her second appearance in a row, played by Leah Sadu. 
uh, Nomi or the new 007 played by Lushana Lynch. Paloma played by Anna de Armas. Eve Monipenny again played by Naomi Harris. Uh, Matilde, uh, although that's not in a, you know, a Gigi type of way played by Lisa Dora Sonnet. Uh, what do you guys think of the bond bond girls in this? Although they very much focus on one bond girl. Uh, who, who do you think the bond girl of the film is? I'll start with Chris this time. Well, the bond girl is literally the 007 Naomi. I don't even fucking know why they had some of these others other than they wanted to make this a 24 hour film for us with too much shit. Um, but Naomi is the bond girl. Although she's not my favorite of the ladies in the film, but uh, straight up, she is the Bond girl because she's the 007. Matt? Well, I think Madeline's the Bond girl in this movie. Um, you know, she's she's an actual romantic interest, which seems, you know, a prerequisite to being a Bond girl to me, I guess. Yeah. Shane? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm conflicted here. Um, I'd say Madeline is the Bond girl, but Lahana Lynch is terrific as 007. And then only a small role, but Paloma, Ana Diamas, she could have her own movie. She's that good in it and effective. So, And I also love Naomi Harris as a you know, money penny. But, uh, yeah, Madeline is the Bond girl in this, and for very good reason. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I have to go, hate to go against Chris, but I, I do agree that Madeline is the, the Bond girl. She's the romantic interest. I really do like uh paloma uh i didn't see the need to have paloma and a 007 or nomi both in cuba at the same time uh, why <laughs> tell me why I, well no i that's why i'm agreeing with you is that i preferred paloma over nomi but it really didn't seem it seemed kind of duplicitous to have both of them there in that sequence and but you could have just written it much more succinctly and only had one character there. Even if they were working, if uh, Nomi and Bond were working against each other, you didn't need to have both women there in that particular scene. But of the two, I preferred Paloma. I thought she was the most entertaining of that particular sequence. Oh, terrific. Yeah, great. She's very easy on the eyes. <laughs> well, they're all essentially easy on the eyes, except for maybe Matilda. But uh, the, you know, I, I, I there's... Anna de, de Armas has a, a chemistry with Daniel Craig and, you know, and you saw it in knives out as well. And obviously he carried it over to this film and brought her in onto this project. And I really like her as an actress and she's fun to watch. And she seemed to be having fun with the role. Um, Nomi was just too much of a, an antithesis to bond early on. So it, I think that's where I didn't really enjoy her character. And then by the time we get to the end of the film, I mean, she's playing sidekick, but she, she doesn't really, you know, it watching it for the third time, um, just the other night, I, I watch it and I go, Oh, here's bond with the woman he loves and his child. And he's going to stay, I'll take him. You know, I won't volunteer to stay. I'm willing to, you know, supposed to give up my life because I'm actually in active service, but he has something to live for, but fuck that. I'm going to take these kids, these women and get, get the fuck out of here. It's, I just didn't really like her character as much as, cause I thought it just wasn't written very effectively. What was her motivation for saying he's the 007? I mean, really, she, she didn't have to say that. 
because it just was an add-in. Yeah. It was an add-in and, you know, they wanted the audiences to cheer and, you know, think, yes, finally. But, um, yeah, I don't know if we we needed it. Uh, Okay. Well, we talked about who the Bond girl is. Who do you think, because I know this is going to be really sexist, who do you think is the best looking girl in the film? A shame. <laughs> Why me first? They're all beautiful. Uh, Paloma, for sure. Ana Diamas, but um, Leia Sadu is not far behind her. They're all gorgeous, though. Matt? Uh, I agree with Shane. Um, uh, Paloma was, was the prettiest uh, Bond girl in this movie. Chris? Well, not even going by looks. Just she had the most fun. She was a great character. And as Patrick said, she's got great chemistry with Daniel Craig. Although I will say she has pretty good chemistry with a lot of her co-stars in films. But uh, yeah, she's hands down. I would have rather seen her in this film as the, the main sidekick. But, you know, when you've got 300 different plot points you want, want to fit in your 16-hour film, she's just going to go by the wayside after 72 hours of it. Or however they edit this damn thing. Well, it's unanimous. I, I agree. I think Paloma is, uh, uh, and Anna de Armas is just strikingly beautiful. Not that the other women are not. They all are, but she's just so much fun to watch on the screen. And she just, it, it just made a pleasure to watch that brief sequence that she was in. I, normally, I'd say I hope she's going to return in the later James Bond film, but it looks like that would be practically impossible on this timeline of James Bond stories. All right, Chris, Bond kills. I really doubt you were counting on this one. No, no, <laughs> I was I was counting the minutes until the damn thing was over, to be perfectly honest with everybody. Oh, wow. So I could not tell you how many people killed who. All I can tell you is they decided to kill off every Spectre person that was in the world, and I don't even know why they would do that because they want to make more films. Well, and it's so difficult in this one because he's got mass killings in multiple scenes. You've got the opening sequence when I think it's I think it's Italy, um, where he's killing Spectre agents all over the place uh, with the car. Uh, you know, driving with the car, it's hard to keep track there. Uh, then when he goes to Cuba, when he's uh, kind of essentially escaping, he's killing Spectre agents all over the place there. And a whole bunch of Spectre agents get killed that he has nothing to do with, that it has everything to do with Safin. Uh, but, and then you have the island, which I couldn't even keep track, you know, of how many no. different people he killed there because there, there was a tremendous amount of them, uh, including a blowing up an entire control room that had a whole bunch of random soldiers in it. So, I would say exactly. Yeah. I would say he's probably easily over 30 in this film easily, yeah. uh, which would, now, I do want to point out that the way his fight ended with, uh, Safin, Yes. Uh, that was a clean break of his arm, a nasty break. <laughs> and, uh, that's what uh, I noticed more than anything before he killed him, snapped that arm. And I thought that was very well done. That's gross. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't like. Bo- I don't Roger like. Roger Moore would never have done that. No, he would have thought that was ungentlemanly. Remember, he didn't like to kick the car down the hill. Just- and Daniel Craig <laughs> kicked the car in this one. A yes. nice little throwback to that in the forest. He did. Yes, I know. I love that because I love yeah. your eyes only. But when that car flipped over, I'm like, oh, they're going to do it, aren't they? <laughs> and I enjoyed it thoroughly. Yeah. 
All right, best death in the film. Uh, lots of deaths to choose from, a lot of indiscriminate characters. Uh, Matt, which, which death do you think ultimately is the best death in the film? It's James Bond's, right? Oh, you give away the spoilers. <laughs> well, if they haven't seen it by now, I, I take no responsibility for that. <laughs> that was a good death. It was, it was an appropriate end. Chris? I agree with that 100%. Um, I, I'm like, I knew they were going to kill him. I, I think pretty much anybody who went in there were, was not surprised when that scene started. But uh, I think even knowing that they were going to kill him, the way that they did it was quite enjoyable. I still am calling bullshit on the fact that Q couldn't fix the little nanobot thing. But aside from that perfect way, uh, he was not killed by any sort of enemy he was killed by his country for which he loved, et cetera, et cetera. Et well, cetera. but he went out on his own terms too. On his own terms. Yes. Uh, Shane, best death in the film. Uh, it's unanimous. Of course. Uh, I, hey, I haven't death. voted yet. <laughs> oh, okay. Sorry. Yep. All right. Well, Patrick's going to say, uh, uh, <laughs> because anyway, well, no, I agree with Matt. I agree with Chris. Uh, I, it's the death. And uh, funnily enough, I saw an, an advanced screening of it for media and we were told not now i didn't know of the incident with his death in it i mean i didn't even think about it to tell you the truth i thought they might have some big finale but not an actual death and we were told and had you know like um embargoes not to reveal any secrets and obviously that was the secret they didn't want revealed and yeah it it's appropriate it's very well done and yeah best death in the film all right well I'm going to disagree with you. It's hence pen number two. Sorry. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> this is an outrage. Can you even name henchman number two's real name? Yeah, it was, uh, it was Frank. So, I believe yeah. it's Tomas Hunchman. <laughs> it, well, Alan Smitty. Yeah. So for the purpose of this film, the, the best death in the film is, bond's death and i absolutely agree with you with everything you just said now for the purposes of the franchise you just killed the fucking franchise in my viewpoint but we're going to get there later on the podcast yeah yeah so yeah we'll we'll discuss that in a little bit but yes it was dramatic it was i i wouldn't say it was unexpected because i expected it as well based off the uh the uh the uh, promotional material of, you know, you, I can't remember what they said in the promotional materials. Like you, you won't believe what will happen. Everything's been leading to this, the expect the unexpected. I mean, it was just kind of like, okay, they're going to kill bond, you know, and no, no, no better way than for Daniel Craig to go out than to do something that hadn't been done in another bond film. Uh, so I expected him to die in the end and I didn't have a problem with it. Um, it, it, it played very, I thought pretty well with it. Uh, I, I even the idea that uh, Q couldn't fix the nanobot problem didn't bother me as much because it was kind of a split uh, split second decision that Bond had to make. Uh, and any any attempt to leave the island, if he encountered someone else and spread the virus to someone else and then who who accidentally encountered his Madeline or his daughter, they could have died inadvertently, even if he never saw him again. I. I, I think that would be too much of a risk and he, he just did the calculation. So I liked it. I like the sacrifice that he makes at that point in the film. Uh, villains and henchmen. 
We've got Lucifer Safin, played by Rami Malek. We got Ernst Stava Blofeld uh, returning, uh, Christopher Waltz returning for a brief sequence. We got Billy Magnuson playing Logan Ash. Uh, we got Dolly Bensala playing Primo. And just for shits and giggles, I threw in uh, Dr. Valdo Obrachev, played by David, David Densick. So he was a delight. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> so, all right. What did you guys think of our villains and henchmen in the film? Shane. Oh, not, not, I, I said this when I first saw it and was reviewing it that I didn't think Rami Malik was a very good villain at all. Uh, I was really disappointed because I thought he would have been just such, so more memorable and, and come across higher than he did because the trailer with the, the mask on and everything, but, um, oh, well, he was trying to be a little bit like Dr. No, obviously. Uh, I, I don't know. This is a really tough one. Um, cause I don't have any favorites. Christoph Waltz disappointed me in Spectre. He kind of disappoints me here too, but Logan Ash, I'll go with Billy Magnuson cause he, <laughs> you know, he changes personalities. Matt and, and, oh, and kills someone very, you know, prominent in the story. But almost inadvertently, I mean, yeah. <laughs> just struggling yeah, over the gun. He just wants Bond to stop doing what he's doing. He's not. V villains and henchmen are one of the low points of this movie because I enjoyed it. Unlike Chris, I really thought it was good. But uh, villains and henchmen are a low point con considering previous Bond movies. Matt? Yeah, I, I agree with Shane. I I, uh, I like the Oberchev edition uh, just because it was it was different and, and added a little, I wouldn't call it comic relief, but just buried the tone a little bit. Um, but, you know, I, I would still call Safin the, the best villain in this movie. His, his motivations were a little unclear and, and the whole, he killed my family. I want revenge thing. You know, it was all right. Um, but I, I, I like the fact that he was sufficiently eccentric. Um, I like the fact that they never tried to make us believe that he was going to fight James Bond physically. Um, they, they avoided some pitfalls with his character. Could have been better. There have been much better. I agree with Shane on that. How old was Safin supposed to be? I have Does anybody know? It's he, he hard to tell. He came across Madeline Swan when she's a little girl. We see his face. She grows up. We see his face the exact same age. Makes no <laughs> fucking sense to me. He, he was supposed to be in his 40s then, I mean, after, but maybe his 20s, I guess. Yeah. I, I don't know. know. It's as if time didn't pass. Anyway, Safin and Dr. No are pretty much one and the same because they both suck ass. I, I just, <laughs> these are the two worst of the series for me. I cannot say enough bad things about Safin. And he was pretty much the last half of this film. And I think that's really why I hated the last half of this film. The worst villain uh, for a 17-hour film, uh, to be honest with you. Um, Blofeld, I don't even know why they had him in this other than... No, I, I really don't even know why they had him in this. <laughs> they didn't do anything with the guy. Logan, I enjoyed. Primo, I enjoyed. Uh, Orbachev? How do we say his last name? Yeah, Orbachev. Orbachev? Uh, I thought he was great, too. I, I liked him in this one. I'm going to go with Logan as the best of the group. And uh, for good measure, I just want everybody to know Sap and Sucked Ass. Have I mentioned that already? You did. Okay. All right. Uh, I, I agree with Matt's 
Safin's motivations are really unclear to me. I understand the simplistic nature of, I want to get back at Spectre by killing Spectre because they killed my family and it took me 30 years to fucking do it. Um, that seemed a little odd, uh, but what he does after Blofeld is killed, I'm like, what are his motivations now? He's putting the entire world, you know, the entire human population at risk by releasing this virus, you know, and putting it in potentially terrorist hands or, you know, uh, you know, uh, enemy country hands or whatever. I, I just really didn't understand him, And they went out of a way to make him even more difficult to understand. Uh, I have a poison garden. Why the fuck would anybody ever have that? I don't, you know, like that doesn't make any sense to me. And th- th- there were so many things that were just seemed to be complete contradictions. I did like, as Matt said, that they didn't put him as a physical counterpart to Bond. You know, he is, he never tries to be that, you know, where he's going to fight it, but they don't have, you know, Primo is probably the only physical counterpart they have to Bond. And I didn't, I didn't really see him as that much of a threat. He seemed to be almost to a certain extent comic relief because Bond takes him out a couple different times in the film pretty easily. Um, they should have brought back Dave Batista. I wish they would have. We talked about yeah. that inspector that the hope that they would bring him yeah, back. Yeah, I was kind of half expecting that, Chris. I wish it had happened. Uh, yeah, I I, I, I re- will say uh yeah, go ahead. Bond's quip when he kills Primo was so over the top cheesy that it that it worked. I thought yeah. it, it made me laugh. Yeah, he should have said it with an Austrian accent, just like Schwarzenegger, but it would have uh, <laughs> uh, you, you know the you know logan ash character i know you guys somewhat liked him i thought he was practically useless other than we just need someone to kill lighter at this sequence in the film and then he's forgotten he he really shows no importance whatsoever you could have written it entirely uh, without him and found a new way to kill lighter um Oberchef was nice i like the uh, character he certainly was used for comic relief but i you know i didn't I definitely wouldn't put him as the best villain in the film. It, it has to be Safi, but that's that's not even he's not even that good of a villain. A villain. Blofeld is useless. I, I I can't believe you got two time Academy Award winner Christoph Waltz coming back for that what minute, two minutes of a sequence in the film. It's just what a, what an ultimate waste. I mean, I, I and then to have him killed off just unceremoniously, just really. Was it was really really disappointing use of that character? That was one of those things that they filmed way after the movie had already finished. And they'd thrown that in there, so that was an extra thing that yeah. they've added. I I I can see that because it does. I think they wanted to squeeze another fourteen hours out of the film. <laughs> you really didn't hide it, Chris. All right. All right. Well, what ultimately works about the film, uh, Matt, you know, now having seen it a couple times, what do you think works in this James Bond film? I, I think the low tech nature of the action sequences is what worked best in this movie. They had good stunts. They had good action sequences and, you know, no uh, space lasers or invisible cars to, to sell them or anything like that. That works well. Daniel Craig still works well. Um, I enjoyed his performance. I enjoyed the kind of throwback uh, supervillain lair. I think that worked well. Um, I think that some of the other performances, um, 
such as uh, uh, Nomi, um, that was that was well executed. You know, she wasn't obnoxious like like sometimes a character like that maybe. Uh, again, she didn't beat up James Bond, which would have been too difficult to believe. I think she worked well. Um, and that's probably it. Shane? Uh, definitely Daniel Craig. I mean, it was a great finish to his his reign as 007. Um, it probably not his best movie, of course. Skyfall still would be. But, uh, yeah, it, he was unreal. He was really good. Good way to finish it. Uh, other things I liked, um, the minimal use of Q. I thought he was good, but like in a lot of those old classic ones, you didn't see much of him, just in certain areas, and that was good. Uh, I loved Ray Fiennes. I think he's a good M, and he's conflicted in this again. You know, does he do that? Do it for his country, or is he going to go? You know, off off the grid. I just really like the casting in general. Um, Jeffrey Wright too, as Felix is good. All the Bond girls. So I really enjoyed just about every aspect of it, except. The Rami Malik. Uh, unfortunately, I had high hopes for him as a villain, and didn't pan out that way. I didn't think it was too long though. I, I was quite happy with the length. I'm not got no problem with long movies. Chris, I would say the first 20, 25 minutes of the film was great. I liked how they started it. Uh, I liked Q being out of the lab. What, what was he on that plane? Bomber. What what the hell was that? Yeah. Um, that was actually nice to see. Um, and I really thought that, uh, bond with, with Paloma worked well. I thought bond with Naomi even for the most part worked pretty well. Um, other than that, nothing. Oh, no, I disagree. I do agree with Matt that I did like throwback layer. I did like, I appreciated that. And all the little, uh, callbacks to the previous films that they threw in their free streaks. Although that probably added to the 45 hour final cut. All right. Well, uh, I'll agree. Daniel Craig absolutely works. He solidifies himself as my favorite uh, all-time actor as James Bond. I think he's had one of the best runs consistently, consistently. Uh, there's been some low points, but uh, overall the low points are not nearly as low as some of the lower points for both Moore and, Connery and certainly not for Pierce Brosnan who had two extremely low points. Um, I, I like the, 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 the villains lair at the end, much as you guys did. It's been a long time since we've seen something like that in a James Bond film. The low tech nature was consistent throughout the entire run of Daniel Craig. And I, I like that they finished off with that. Um, but the thing I really, really thought this film distinguished itself is Bond's relationship with all the other characters with Q with Monty Penny, with uh, M, that it was it was nice to see that that not just the kind of the office aspect, although we'd seen that previously in Spectre, where they kind of got out of the office and worked together as almost a team, but the fact that I I don't work for M anymore and I can be confront confrontational with him, I really like that he called him on the carpet for his involvement in that 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 virus, the nanovirus getting out, uh, and I thought it really it really ratcheted up some of the tension in the film. And I liked that aspect. I liked all those supporting characters throughout the entirety of their involvement in Daniel Craig's era. And I liked the fact that they got a lot of time ultimately in this film. But there are things that didn't work in this film. And I think 
I could be wrong, but I think Chris has something he wants to bring up. I, I think I, I get the sense he's holding back. So Chris, what didn't work for you other than what obvious thing that you've been saying the entire time? I'm hoping they, to find out what he thinks about Safin. <laughs> they needed a fucking editor. They really did. It, that that scene in the forest, I did enjoy the chase. But when they captured the the uh, swan and her kid, I'm like, oh, uh, we should be close to the end of the film. I paused it. We had fucking two more hours of film to t- go through. And I'm like, oh, my God. They try to throw in everything in this film. I'm like, why? And most of it wasn't even needed. They needed an editor to edit the film. They needed an editor to edit the script. And they basically killed off every fucking bond around how the hell they're going to go from this other than we're going to get a money penny uh, Amazon Prime show. We're going to get a Q Amazon Prime show. We're going to get some M Amazon Prime show. And they killed off everybody important in this film and made me not care. I don't wholeheartedly agree with Chris, but... Yeah, there was aspects of it that I didn't like and that had a lot to do with the villains. As I'll just keep repeating myself. Safin in particular and Blofeld was unnecessary. Uh, his phony eye was pretty bad too. So I had no problem with anyone, anything else in the movie. Um, music, actors, uh, and the vibe of it all was incredible and it was a real big screen experience. I saw it with a big crowd who all appreciated it. So, yeah, not a lot I didn't like. Matt, you know, just just a lot of little things bothered me when Bond was getting drunk in the bar with Lighter. He he, he was overacting the scene. Um, it was just poorly written. I didn't think it was too long. the the length The length didn't turn me off, but just just kind of general lack of motivations. The the thing with the the Spectre party was just dumb. You know, Bond going into retirement. The Madeline, this this twist where she's Blofeld's uh, psychologist was again just dumb. She's a daughter of Spectre, and Bond never knew any of this. It's just stupid. It, it felt like they were just throwing throwing stuff out way too much. It didn't make sense. It, it didn't come together well, and you know, just setting up action sequences and an ultimate demise for Bond. It felt like it was just really sloppily written. That's a, my biggest issue with it is I don't un, I don't understand the motivations and intents of the, all the characters. You made a big story element of Spectre with Bond walking away to live a life with theoretically the woman he loves slash just met um, forever. And within the first few minutes of this film, and I'm presuming it doesn't take place that long after what happened in Spectre. Because they, he's still looking over his shoulder. He's still in that, you know, that mindset of I'm a spy. And he gets this immediate sense of betrayal, which is a story element we've already covered before uh, you know, with Vesper. And I understand that that's his redemption arc through the end of the film, that he can forgive Madeline for what he believes and gets to seek her forgiveness for the way he acts at the beginning of the film, thinking he's been betrayed again. But I don't understand why didn't he immediately return back to MI6 to become a spy again? If he just left, you know, why does he suddenly go off and retire for five years 
you know, unlike what he's done previously. It just, it, I don't understand the elements or the motivations to many of the characters. I don't understand why Safine is doing what he's doing. I don't understand why Madeline lies about the, uh, you know, Mathilde being Bond's daughter. You know, it's, they, they seem to be back together again and he, she just doesn't tell him. And it, it, there just doesn't seem to be a lot of consistency as to why any of the characters are doing anything that they want to do. And I do agree with Chris. It, it was too long. They're, they could have told the story much more succinctly and gotten to the point and eliminated a lot of characters. I didn't think Logan Ash needed to be there at all. Uh, Primo, I thought, was, you know, you could com combine Primo and Logan Ash very succinctly. Um, you could have not killed off, made this big event of killing off the entirety of Spectre and focused just on uh, Blofeld if you wanted to make that an element and you would have been just as effective in doing so it's they 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 just drug out the entirety of the story although i did like the aspect that you had paloma there that you know that's one thing about the cuba element that i did like so yeah that in there but yeah there was it just was a missed opportunity to go out like skyfall which i still or or casino royale which i still think are two of the best james bond films ever made and this seemed to be more in the line with specter unfortunately for me So, uh, very quickly, what, where would he put this film now? We've already ranked the James Bond films. We're not going to re-rank them, but just in the top half of uh, James Bond films or the bottom half of the James Bond film franchises at this moment. Matt? It's top half for me. Um, it's, it's, not, it's not bad. We forget how bad some of the old ones were. <laughs> Shane? Yeah, I agree. Um, I don't forget how bad some of the older ones were, and I would get definitely put this in my top half of Bond films for sure. Chris, like you even have to ask, it's 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 a it's a bottom film, but it's not the worst. Uh, no, it's the longest, but it's not the worst. Yeah, the Moonraker still exists in this world, so it's not oh, the good worst. Good God, but... yeah, yeah. Uh, I I will put it slightly in my top half. It's it's right there towards the middle. It's not a bottom half because I do remember because I've watched the, all the James Bond films many times that some of them are really bad. Uh, and so I could easily say this is this is better than many of the films in either the Pierce Brosnan or Roger Moore eras and much, much better than Diamonds Are Forever with Connery. Uh, but it's not I, I wouldn't put it in my top. Yeah, I probably wouldn't put it in my top 10 so that, that you know, it's really kind of in the middle of the pack. But I had one last question, and I know we got to rush because Shane's got to get out of here to go do his radio podcast. Speculation on the Bond futures. Where does the, where does the franchise go from here? And Shane, I'm going to start with you because I think you probably have a distinctive opinion. <laughs> um, I really like Richard Madden, who I distinctly think he'd do a great job. Uh, he's been, his name's been thrown up. He's been in Game of Thrones. He was in that uh, Elton John movie, Rocket Man. Um, he's very good. If they were going for female, which I don't think they ever will, but I had said from the start, Andrea Riseborough would make a really good female Bond if they were going to go there. She's a British actress who's been in a lot of um, sort of independent arty stuff. Uh, Idris Elba, it would be good, but I think he's too old. I know his name's come up. And Tom Hardy, I'm not sure Tom Hardy would be a good Bond, but um, Jamie Bell would be another potential 
decent choice, I think. I like Jamie Bell. So Richard Madden would be my number one, and I think him and Henry Cavill are very high on the list of the producers. Do, do you think the Bond franchise, film franchise, continues on as we've seen them now? No, no, it will be refreshed for a new age. Okay. Matt? I think they wrote themselves in a, such, a, such a corner by killing off pretty much everything uh, important to, to the Daniel Craig franchise that they have to wait a while. And I think they do best if they, they kind of waited, waited quite a while, which they probably won't, um, and found a relatively um, unknown actor to play Bond. Just because, um, you know, you got like the, the Batman thing where it, we, we got new Batman before the last Batman is even, you know, uh, cooled off. Um, and it just doesn't work. It's just worn it out. And I think when you kill Bond and Blofeld um, and Felix Leiter, um, you you have to let it you have to let it sit for a while and then kind of start fresh. And I think the way you start fresh is by picking someone that nobody really knows to play Bond. Chris, they take a couple of years to make, you know, eighteen months or so from the time they start filming to when it's released, in, unless COVID hit like it did. But honestly, um, yeah, you're right, Matt. They should wait, and I think they will. I know you're saying they might not, but I reckon they will. Um, they just want to be make sure this next one has it's got a lot to live up to, but they will refresh it. I think for sure. Chris, I think two things are happening in the future. Whether they pick a male or female, black, white, or other ethnicity, gay, straight, or some other orientation, it's going to piss off a lot of some sort of segment of the of the world, and they're going to be disappointed with this next James Bond pick. They, they're in a no-win situation there. I think that uh, we are going to get a shit ton of Amazon Prime shows. I really think they're going to go with the Money Penny show, the Q show, maybe a Paloma show. Maybe we'll get something on the CW that everybody will be like, why is it on the CW? It should be a one-season Netflix thing. But um, Amazon's the big curveball in this. And I think that uh, we might get Jeff Bezos as a uh, as a bald non-villain because he's a good guy, of course. And I think that it's really going to change quite a bit, and people are not going to be happy. The new right. Star Wars fans, that's what the bond <laughs> people are. Well, I, I I agree with Matt's sentiment of they need to wait. I disagree that they're going to. <laughs> that they have a new corporate master in Amazon, and they bought the MGM library, and this was the crown jewel of that library for a reason. And they're going to want to capitalize on that as quickly as possible. And I agree with Chris that they're going to try to monetize that into spinoff shows, possibly from the characters, uh, you know, maybe a younger James Bond. I don't know how they're going to do it, but they are going to do it. And I don't necessarily think that's going to be a good thing. As far as the movie franchise, uh, I am less interested in a James Bond film. And that, and this is coming from a lifelong James Bond fan is you've shown me the death of this character. And these films are technically canon to each other. And now I know he, how he dies. So therefore I don't think he's going to die in another film. Otherwise, you're really going to piss me off if you give me, you know, you give me a series of films with Henry Cavill and then he dies a different way in the end of that series. I'm going, well, this is just fucking nonsense. And, you know, it's just, I, I, I don't appreciate right. that. I, 
although this was highly dramatic, this was, we're going to shoot our wad and we're done type of move. And to even say, Oh, James Bond will return is like, ah, if he does, I don't care, you know, because there's no suspension of disbelief. He's not going to die in the next film. Not that he usually died in other, other films, but it's just, there's not really any suspense to it. And I'm less interested in it at the time. I loved Daniel Craig. I like the films. I even like this film. I just don't like the future where Bond is going to go. But I also think Bond is so, so, um, you know, in the control of Amazon now that it's going to be hard uh, for them not to be responding to their corporate masters as much as they need to. And I, I am curious what their next move is, but I'm sure I'm going to be disappointed in it. All right. Well, that does it for this month's review or this year's review of No Time to Die. <laughs> Thanks again for joining us and listening to uh, our, I guess, every few years podcast since we haven't done one for a few uh, few years. If you had a good time, the doesn't, doesn't have to stop here. You can follow us on Pinterest or Twitter at MH Memories on either one of those social media outlets. You can keep yourself informed about occasional written film reviews and film summaries, news on up, upcoming theatrical releases and trailers and information on many upcoming podcasts on the MHN Podcast Network. Uh, well, like James Bond, we will return when there is a new James Bond film to review, and that probably, Maybe. well, I will, Shane will, Matt will, Chris may not, but we'll be back. <laughs> we may shit and piss all over it, but you know, we, we will come back to review it. But until then, uh, I'm Patrick. I'm double O negative. I'm waiting for a good rebooting. Uh, yep, and I can't wait till the next one. Bring it on. All right. And we'll see you all next time at our house.